Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Before we get into this kind of unique episode with my former student, Brett Bellamy, I just have a few things I want to share with you. Number one, make sure you stick around past the epic outro. It's going to be a different outro. You're going to want to stick around for this one. Trust me. And then the other thing I want to say is just I want to thank our sponsor for the podcast, Houghton Horns. For those of you that aren't familiar, Houghton Horns is a family-owned business in Keller, Texas, and their mission is to spread the joy of music through providing the highest level of products, services, and resources to the brass playing community. Community. Have you ever set your trumpet on the ground and then you picked up your phone to text somebody, but then you accidentally dropped your phone on your trumpet and dented it? Because I have. And when that happens, Houghton Horns is here for you. At Houghton Horns, they do all their repair work in-house, so you know you're getting one of their skilled craftsmen doing the work to bring your instrument back to 100%. They also do customizations, so if you were looking to customize your instrument for your own specific needs, look no further than Houghton Horns. At Houghton Horns, they strive to put service to the customer as their top priority. Whether you are a beginner student, a hobbyist, or a full-time professional, Houghton Horns can help you find what you're looking for. Go to HoughtonHorns.com for more information. Hello. Welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and today on my podcast, this is going to be a really uh, interesting episode, hopefully. It's going to be a fun episode for me to do. Uh, I'm here with Brett Bellamy, uh, a former student of mine at Samford University. Uh, he played the trumpet at that point in time, but he uh, assured me upon graduation he would never look at the trumpet ever again, which I think is a lie, though. I think you've played it since you've graduated. I, I have played a little bit. Not not anything remotely complicated or intense, but I've played a little bit. Yeah. Um, so this will be cool for me. Uh, Brett, it, it, the, the reason I wanted to bring Brett on is because... Uh, he got a music degree and then sort of just, quote, didn't use it. But then as we've talked over the years, it's become clear that elements of his music degree have proved to be useful in the musical endeavors he's pursued that have nothing to do with the trumpet. He has a band called Empire Springs, uh, which I'm going to play some of their music throughout this episode, I think, just so you can hear. And uh, they're they're amazing, and, and it's really... You could hear elements, especially with progressive rock. We were just talking, it's not fully progressive rock, but it's got enough elements of it that it really takes on sort of a complexity of classical music type thing. There's layers and things are intertwining just like it would in classical music. So I just wanted to kind of get Brett's perspective on, um, to begin with, you know, music school and like maybe what he remembers from that that he's using now. And then, you know, uh, just what, you know, your musical uh, influences and kind of going through that. Longtime listeners of the podcast will remember way back in the day when I was using music for episodes like Lessons from Indie, uh, the one about discipline, some of those early episodes, Brett gave me the music for those early episodes. Uh, so Coming full circle now. Yeah, yeah, that was all the way back in the day. So... Um, I'm just excited to do this. I hope this will be for anyone listening. I hope this will be interesting for you as well, because, you know, many of us will go on to a career in music, whether it's, you know, freelancing or it's uh, a teaching job or 
orchestra job or whatever other types of things. But many people may go on to just do something else and have music just be a part of their life that it enriches it. I think that's a very awesome thing. And I want to get Brett's perspective on what that looks like. So thanks for coming over and hanging out with me a little bit. Yeah. I'm, thanks for having me. This is fun. So I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, uh, we'll start with your sort of just your backstory, I guess, you know, like what was your trajectory? How did you, you know, I met you at Samford, obviously, when you were, I think, a junior. And so what was your trajectory to getting there? And then we'll kind of pick it up after that. Uh, yeah, so I started playing trumpet like a lot of, or I guess music as a whole, like a lot of horn players do in sixth grade, like band, you know. And it, I wasn't really like interested in music, but uh, you could actually get out of PE in sixth grade. So I wanted to get out of PE, so I joined band. And uh, ended up finding a really like awesome community of friends uh, and just kept going through band through sixth, eighth grade. Then I didn't really want to do marching band, but all my friends were doing it. So, you know, I got peer pressured into marching band, which there are far worse things to get peer pressured into <laughs> in ninth grade. Um, and ended up falling kind of in love with that community again. Uh, and then it came time for college and I had been planning to be like a visual art major, like I was going to draw and paint and stuff. I mean, I had been taking lessons. I've been taking like art classes in school and everything and had applied and been accepted to, to a lot of different like design schools. Um, and my senior year, you know, I was actually listening to the previous episode that just came out, the Jason Dovell episode. And he mm -hmm. kind of had this like haphazard falling into a music degree. And I actually related to that a lot because I kind of just one day was like, you know, I could like do music, I guess. You know, I, I like playing the trumpet. I like playing the bass guitar and piano and stuff so uh that brought me to Stanford, and i you know from there just had a fun time in music school it was it was uh it was weird that when i got to like freshman year music school it was the first time i experienced the disconnect between the music that i'm actually interested in and the music i was studying because band class you know, isn't a very intense look at music as a whole. You're kind of just playing the piece. And we had a good band program. It was competitive. We had a great band director, but it was kind of just, you play the pieces they give you, you know, and we did some like, it was, we didn't have any strings. It was all, uh, I guess, like a wind ensemble mm -hmm. type thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, we did like a, a wind ensemble uh, arrangement of like Jupiter by the planet. So like we played cool repertoire, especially for high school, but uh, it was very different coming to music school. I had this like really big disconnect almost immediately with like, I'm very interested in rock and metal music and I'm not to a degree afforded an opportunity to explore that somewhat. Does that make sense? It does. Well, I mean, you play the trumpet though, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's not much of that kind of music written for the trumpet. And it it's something that I think a lot of people have experienced that there is a, a I don't want to say a narrow view, but it's just sort of what it is, right? Like yeah, you yeah. come in and you're playing the trumpet and you have sort of jazz or classical or commercial and classical music. And so um, I remember working with you and we were talking about like putting together a recital or something like that. It was just trying to find music that you would even be remotely interested in yeah. working on was uh, kind of a challenge. Yeah, def definitely. And it was it was kind of odd because I didn't really want to play the trumpet. Like by the time I got to college, I was ready to like put it down, but I needed a scholarship to go to school and you don't get a lot of, you don't get any scholarship playing the bass guitar. <laughs> um, so uh, trumpet was my only avenue to get to pursue music further. So 
I kind of just used it as like a vessel, if that makes sense. It wasn't something, and I think we talked about that really early on. I think you had done like a couple of lessons with me that hadn't gone particularly well on my end. And you were just like, okay, like what, what do you want to get out of this? Like, why are you playing the trumpet? And that's when I was like, I don't really want to play the trumpet. I'm just trying to get a recital and get a degree and get out. And so uh, it seems like, you know, we kind of, we laughed just now talking about it, but that was like a huge moment in our dynamic teacher and student. Um, because I like vividly remember like every lesson after that, you you completely shifted the focus away from like how to be a trumpet player into more how to be a musician. And we talked about bigger ideas. And those are the things that I still hold on to. And I still think back, like I remember I texted you a few years ago, I was writing a song and I was like, Hey, like I'm writing this song. And like, I think I understand phrasing finally. Like, I think it's make, it's like coming together slowly and you know, I wasn't the most studious trumpet player. I wasn't even the most studious anything back then. And I'm still not now, but like, I, I hold on to those like conversations we had. Like we, we literally didn't play trumpet one lesson. We threw Frisbee and we talked about that. music and it was awesome. It was great. Like I just, I don't know. I'm a music teacher now. I don't know if we've talked about that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I take that same approach when I teach students. Like I, I talk to them really early. And you know, this is dependent on age. I have some little kids that I teach piano. And I just put them through like a, a book because that's the only way they don't have enough opinions yet. But like when I have older students, like high schoolers especially, I do sit them down and I'm like, what do you, what do you want out of this? Like, where do you, what makes you want to play music? Because you know, I have a lot of piano students, a lot of guitar students, that kind of stuff. More like popular music instruments, if you will. Um, and that can go different directions. You know, there's all sorts of classical stuff we can play on the piano. There's all sorts of classical stuff we can do on the guitar. But more often than not, it ends up being more popular music focused. And so I, I do try and take your same approach and like meeting them where they're at, helping them achieve the goals they want to achieve. Because we could have had a very different experience if you just tried to like throw the Arben book at me. And Armin, but I don't know what it's called. That's anymore. right. Yeah. Uh, nailed you know, it. Yeah. You know, 10 years later. Yeah. It's an interesting, you know, I mean, I could see... <laughs> That like there was not a super big drive, you know, and I think there is a balance there. You know, I think there is a balance between the teacher saying like, like not every student. I remember having this specific conversation with you about you said I don't enjoy the trumpet, and I remember asking, "Do you not enjoy the trumpet because you don't enjoy it, or because you struggle to do it so much?" I think that's a really important distinction for people to be able to make, like. Are you not enjoying this because you truly it's just not for you? Or is it like it's so hard for you to make things work that the process is so non and or unenjoyable that you're just like, this sucks. I don't want to do it. Right. And being the only way you're going to figure that out is through like quality work to get to a point where you can get to like a decent level of I can play this enough to say, has it become more enjoyable? And that's kind of a lot of those conversations I realized like you just weren't you just really weren't, even as you started to progress and we could see some of that, um, I guess, progress. So, yeah, I just, uh, it's just an interesting dis discrepancy there between those two, because some teachers are like, well, maybe if we just keep going, you'll like this more. Mm -hmm. And then the teacher should say that that's like on the teacher to be like, we're just going to kind of keep pushing through. Like, I have faith you'll enjoy this. We're going to keep going. And then there's also the, like, I recognize like I just yeah. need to be value added, you know what I mean? Like I yeah. think I think there's a balance. Yeah, definitely. And like I mean to your point like when you met me like I was not at a level where I could be good enough to like make that distinction and I mean by the time I did my senior recital 
I wouldn't say I was a great trumpet player, but I was good enough to put on the recital and get through it and, you know, graduate. Um, and I had kind of already formulated that I wasn't going to play the trumpet anymore. And like we discussed a second ago, like that was a lie, like I have played, but I'm not playing the trumpet for the sake of like playing it for fun. Like it's, it's, it's serving like a, uh, when I am playing it, it's, it's serving like a, a compositional tool, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I recently did this arrangement for this uh, like soundtrack that I like, and it's very like I don't know klezmer ish. It's lots of like kind of like whimsical strings and whimsical brass, but it's not very classical sounding. It's not very orchestral it's at all. Just the over the garden wall, yeah, 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 definitely. Maybe I'll put maybe I'll insert a clip of that yeah. real quick right here. That'd be great. Yeah, and so the trumpet in that regard was absolutely just servicing the arrangement. It wasn't, it wasn't the focus. And then I did it again a year later, and I realized I wanted the trumpet to have a feature. And that's when I texted you, and I was like, I can't play, I can't play good enough to play a solo. You know, I can play little boom chick chick parts, but I can't, I can't play a featured part um, to a degree that would I'd be proud of. So, yeah, and I think that's okay. You know, I think it's totally fine that someone determines that this is not for them you know I, I just i think everyone owes it to themselves to to pursue it to a degree where they actually know that answer because what you'll learn in that process as well was work we might go through in a second what you learn from that process you'll you'll hold forever and a lot of those things are like how to get better like how to take a vision of something you have musically and work towards slowly bringing that to life and what that process looks like and that's the creative process in general it's not specific to the trumpet so you talked about phrasing being one thing that you remember we talked a lot about that um you, uh, impacted you later on when you were writing for Empire Springs and for your own projects like can you think of any other things that that kind of transferred over oh yeah absolutely i would say like the biggest underlying one is the 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 importance of diligence and the importance of like attention to detail because there's you know i don't want to speak blanket statements but there's not a ton of that in rock music sometimes you know it's it's very like we're just going to like rock out and play power chords and I would say like just the the academic side of it as a whole has like stuck with me the most. The academic side of like studying music deep, like more deeply, studying music more intentionally, looking at layers, like uh, even outside like classes with you, you know, thinking about like music theory type classes and music history type classes. Um, those are probably the ones that I would reference the most in terms of what impacts me day to day. Uh, I do still hold a deep love uh, for like the academic side of music as a whole. I'm reading a book right now called uh, How Equal Temperament Killed Harmony and Why You Should Care. And it's all about like microtonality and it's interesting. And that's just like, you know, I wouldn't even know about that at all if it wasn't for music school and I wouldn't be interested in that. And, you know, I I think just like as a broad 
I don't know, broad, huge brushstroke, like academic study of music as a whole is still something that's like super important to me. If you want to break it down into smaller things, you know, phrasing, dynamics, uh, articulation doesn't matter quite as much on the bass, but it does when you're singing and I do a lot of singing uh, and that kind of ties into phrasing, I guess. Um, does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. I mean, it's just, it's just cool to hear for me, I mean, this isn't like a raving review of my teaching, you know what I mean? Because you're saying it's this whole, it's this holistic perspective. It's not just like, I did that. So it's cool to hear that from all these different areas of music school, you were able to pull something away that has like, not only enriched you, just like that information of itself has certainly enriched it, but it's also been a place that you can say, well, I can continue, I can continue this. And one thing that I'm curious for your perspective on is I'm experiencing right now, I literally found an article when I was reading this this other it's called, it's about focus of attention what you're thinking about when you're doing stuff. And I in this there was a a study that was cited uh, about focus of attention for when they were doing it with piano and I went to look it up and I couldn't access it because it's like on a Google Scholar type thing and I went to Kathleen and I was like, "Hey, can we use your university something?" to get me access. And I, it just like blew my mind that I was asking Kathleen to get me access to Google Scholar. If you would have asked me to do that when I was 21 years old, I'd have been like, this is stupid, you know? Yeah. But now because I found something I'm passionate about pursuing, all of that is like, it's like opening this world to me. That's what it sounds like it's doing for you. Like you found a part of music that you're passionate about and you want to learn about and you're really doing your due diligence. And that seems like it's fueling, you're using what you learned in music school to fuel further uh, growth. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I would, you know, empathize with that greatly. I would say um, there's just so much to music, right? Like it's such a huge like rabbit hole. You could jump down. There's all sorts of different facets you could study. And I was having a conversation with a coworker, you know, as a music teacher, I was having a conversation about how I really wanted to go back to school and like do a master's degree, but I don't know what I would study because I, I like music so much, but I don't know if it would practically help me to get a master's. It would be more of a personal decision just for like the, you know, the interest of learning. And that kind of brought up a conversation about, well, you know, you can just Google most information that you want. You can learn anything on YouTube these days. And that brought up a really cool conversation about like the importance of like what is the separation of learning in like an institutionalized situation like school versus learning independently. And I think there's a part we didn't mention earlier, but I know that you would agree with the communal aspect of school is, is just so important. Uh, you know, and that's something that when I first graduated, I like really, really missed. And I really, I, I like looked for that like really hard because I went from a situation, you know, school is inherently transient when you're a student, you know, it's going to end in four, maybe five years, depending on your situation. Um, and so like when I graduated, I moved apartments. I lived in a, like a much farther situation. I was much farther away from everyone. I was less connected and I wasn't around people. I was working a job around like people. I was working like service industry. So I was around people, all sorts of ages, all sorts of interests. And I missed that like academic community where, People are interested in the same thing as you. People are striving to get better. There's that community of like, let's all like work together, you know? And I missed that. And I searched for a very long time to find something similar. And I, at this point, have found something similar. It's not quite the same because we're not physically together all the time. But we do have, I would say I've got like five or six bands in town that I talk to every day. I talk to their members every day about all sorts of things. We talk about TV shows, but we do talk a lot about like 
music and how we're pursuing that and different and it looks different for everyone you know not i'm probably one of the few that actually does come from a slightly classical background like has a degree and that kind of stuff and actually like five of four of the five members of my band all have music degrees and the one that doesn't can keep up with all of us like he's <laughs> he spent so much time studying it he's got a better ear than we do he's got essentially he's got a relative perfect pitch um so he's very well studied as well. And so we're kind of like the outliers, even in that group, because, mm -hmm. you know, we can have these, you know, nerdy conversations about, you know, the tertian harmony in that chord or whatever. But, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, we, I have found some semblance of that community in like the local scene, if you will. I don't like to use that word, I guess. Um, but yeah, community is so important. I think that's what sets apart like school from just like Google, you know. Yeah, sure, sure. I would totally agree. Um, this isn't. I would think an interesting question. I didn't tell you I was going to ask it. So if it takes you, if you have to think about it, it's fine. But um, reflecting back, what is one thing that you feel like you did really well in school? Like you're glad you did this thing, and you wouldn't do it differently. And what's one thing that you wish you would have taken more advantage of, or you kind of would have spent more time pursuing, or something like that? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll start with the negative one, if that's cool. So, thing that I definitely could have done better was I should have been more diligent in my music history studies. I I totally dropped the ball. I'm gonna be honest. Like that was my worst class. Um, I I didn't fail that class obviously because I graduated, but I did not do well in that class. And I would like looking back, I don't really care much for Baroque music and like early early classical era stuff. But like looking back, it would be cool to like know more about it. And you know, I had the opportunity to learn, and I just like didn't take it because I was like, oh, I like rock music. I don't like Baroque music. I don't want to listen to Bach. You know. And so there's like a whole world of there's a whole world that I just like didn't take advantage of uh, that I didn't take seriously in the moment. And I do think about that pretty frequently about how, you know, it's not something that I want to go back and pursue on my own time because I'm not interested in it, but like it was in front of me and I could have learned about it. I think that would have helped, uh, especially because like we wrote a uh, counterpoint section, in one of our songs and there's like, it's three part counterpoint, uh, bass, guitar and piano. And, you know, I hadn't studied counterpoint at all, like in school, because I mean, we, I had studied it, but I didn't take it seriously. So I didn't remember anything. I didn't like learn about the species and everything. So I had to rely more on our piano player in that moment. So that's, that's one, I guess, if that makes sense. Of course. Um, things I did well, uh, I guess I don't want to sound too cheesy, uh, but like connections to specifically to professors, like, I mean, we had a great connection and I feel like that was probably as a whole, what like saved my music career in school uh, in, in terms of the academic aspect. Like, I mean, I think about you, I think about Dr. Mark Lackey, Dr. Joel Davis and Dr. Eric Mathis. Those like you four were like home base for my, you know, uh, learning experience. And some of the best conversations I had about music and some of the things that I, the moments where I feel like I learned the most uh, may not have even been uh, in classes with you four, but it was definitely in conversation with you four. Like I remember I would always go to Dr. Lackey's office and I would bug him and talk to him about what he was listening to. Cause he was open and kind of into like rock and metal. And he tried so hard to incorporate that into classes, which I appreciated. Like he taught my, uh, music, uh, theory lab, which is like your training stuff. 
And he would, you know, when we we're doing like harmonic dictation, he would pick like all sorts of kinds of songs. He would do rock songs. He would do more like, you know, symphonic music. He would do jazz. And so we would like, you know, be sitting there listening to like a rock song, picking out, you know, that was like a one to six, you know, movement or whatever. So like he was very intentional with that as well. And I would say all, all four of you guys, um, my connection with you is what I wouldn't change. And that's what I think I did. And it's not even something that I did, you know, but like seeking it out, uh, I think is what I did. And then I just had, I got very fortunate, I had very great teachers. So, yeah. Uh, I guess to sort of round out this, this part of the discussion, um, you could think of it one of two ways. You could either think of it as it's going to be asking your advice, but you could think of it as what would you tell yourself, you know, X amount of time ago, <laughs> or if someone's listening and they're like, man, I really like prog music, but I have to play this like piece by Haydn, like, I hate this, you know, like what, what would be your advice to that person or to yourself, however you want to frame it? I would say try and look at the bigger picture. That's what I struggled with when I was in school. Uh, playing this piece by Haydn, you know, studying this Bach thing, you know, whatever, he, he composed so much music, studying anything that may not be exactly what you are interested in being able to like zoom out and look at the full holistic picture of like what you're actually gaining from this uh is so important because i can't play a haydn concerto anymore you know there's no way on the trumpet but like uh being able to look at the whole picture of like you know this is a piece of music this is the phrasing this is how it's composed you know this is how the melody's working look at the form you know looking at music as a whole makes it seem a lot less tedious in the moment. Like there are still times when I have to learn songs I don't want to learn and I'm able to like find more enjoyment and, you know, maybe learn something myself as, you know, a player or whatever. Um, I play a lot of piano right now because I'm teaching a lot of piano. And so I don't, I didn't play piano seriously in college. I just, you know, had to do the piano proficiency stuff to, to get the degree. And so I'm playing piano more than I've ever played in my life and I'm getting better, but I don't know any repertoire because I didn't play any growing up. I played like pop songs and everything. So uh, I'm having actually a very similar situation and I'm approaching it more holistically where I'm having to learn all this piano music that I don't really care about. You know, I don't, if I'm realistic, like I'm not playing it for fun. I'm playing it because I'm trying to teach it better to a student or I'm trying to, you know, uh, do something along those lines. And I'm trying to keep the the holistic view of it like you know i might not like this beethoven piece but i can learn from it and i can apply it maybe in a small way to something that i do like um easy example uh form and analysis class that i wasn't super i did, it didn't click for me in the moment i didn't understand form like i didn't understand i understood what sonata form was but like analyzing it when i'm given like a piece of sheet music is difficult but looking back now, I'm listening to bands like Between the Buried and Me. They're this progressive metal band with hyper extended compositions. You know, you think rock music, you think like three minute songs. We're talking like 11 to like 15 minute songs, not verse chorus form. Like they're doing a lot of these sort of classically oriented forms. They're looking at how they layer in like two separate guitar parts together over like a bass. And so it's, it's very orchestral and symphonic in that way, even though it is rock music. And it can be a bit abrasive because there is harsh vocals or screaming. But 
a lot of it's it's silly to compare you know beethoven to between the barrier to me but but <laughs> as, when you listen you wouldn't catch it at all but i think if you can let yourself get past like the abrasiveness to that band like there is some amazing amazing music in it and a lot of the same techniques that you would use to study you know a Mahler symphony you would use to study between the barrier to me and i think that's really cool and those are guys that have obviously spent time studying uh, music as well uh and so you know i would say yeah the holistic approach of music applies to everything in a small way even if you don't see it immediately you'll see it eventually yeah it's a great answer Let's cover. I want to cover a few of your favorite tracks that you've written and kind of share maybe 30 to 45 second chunks of them. Sure. I want to save this place for the end. Okay. This place is going to be the outro of this episode. I'm glad you like that one so much. Yeah. It's my favorite. But so we'll save that one for the end. But what's like, what's one of them that, uh, just what's one of your favorite tracks? Um, trying to think critically here and not be biased. I would say, you know, for especially for symphonic listeners, I would say the the first track um, is interesting. And I actually didn't even have a big hand in writing that one. My guitar player wrote most of that, and I kind of just helped him arrange it and put it together. And it was actually one of the last songs that we wrote on the record because we were treating it like an overture, uh, and which is why I think it would be interesting to uh, talk about first is it's it essentially is an overture. It's a combination of different themes and different ideas from the rest of the album put together in like a two and a half minute, three minute instrumental little song uh, like you would have in an opera or musical. And so you starts off with this like a major, or I guess a Lydian guitar pattern that also ends the record. It fades up at the beginning of the record then it fades out at the very end of the last song. So it's kind of cyclic in that way, which is a little bit of a trope. I'll be honest, you know, people have done that since Pink Floyd and well before that too. So but I do think it's a fun way to start an indie record, especially for our first. And then it just goes in and it's introducing ideas and themes and chord progressions and all sorts of melodic harmonic material that you'll just hear later on. Time signature changes that are familiar, rhythmic patterns that are similar. So I think it's a it's a really fun one. It's not gonna be anyone's favorite, but that's not the point of an overture, right? The overture isn't the, the best song on the soundtrack. It's, right. it's just serving a bigger purpose. Track, I think it's track nine, or maybe it's track eight. I don't know. Con, it's a good one. That that one is slept on by by people. I think when they first listen to the record because it it's sandwiched between drawing lines, which is like everyone's favorite single. It's like pop form, you know. And then you've got 
the title track, The Luminescence, which is like the big epic theme piece. It's the big return of the main theme. It's a big minor key thing. It's very dramatic, but you have this one little transition in between Khan, and it was originally written to be transitional material, but we kind of just made it into a song. And I think that one's got a lot of character to it. I really like how it starts off with that uh, D minor bass chord section. Um, and then we move into a couple reprisals of other themes. And then you have the soft piano chorus of the previous song. Uh, and then we move into the big epic orchestral thing at the end. Uh, I don't know. It was just, it was very different to write. I, I write so much like rock and metal type stuff. I use metal loosely. It's just that guitars are more distorted. There's no screaming. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not that heavy, but uh, yeah, it, it was very different approaching writing that one. And I collaborated. I'm not very good at collaborative writing usually. I usually write the full song or I let someone else write it and someone else in the band write it and then I help arrange it. But this was one that I really worked with two other people in the band uh, and we wrote something that I'm proud of. And I, I think for that regard, the, the collaborative effort as well is, is, is an interesting take for me. Yeah, one thing that I think is really cool, and we should try to address this because it'll it'll help drive some of this like symphonic connection. Is um, this happens a lot? I would say I don't know. Maybe many bands do this, but I'm only aware of a few albums that are are what a concept album, right? Where the whole entire album itself is like more or less one idea, and you're telling different parts of the story. So you could think of it as like a 13 movement symphony if Absolutely. you want to think of it that Absolutely. way. Absolutely, and. I think, you know, we don't, like a lot of modern symphonies, we're not following specific forms, you know, like we're not thinking, oh, well, this is sonata form, so I have to bring the A section back in a new key, you know? I mean, like, yeah, this movement might have elements of that, but then when you get to the second movement, it's like related, but a whole different form in yeah, and of itself. Yeah. Absolutely. So you do have to view it as much smaller, more broken segments, but I do like the holistic look at it where it's like, you know, I would say there's like melodically probably like four really important themes that appear several times and every single song is connected either harmonically melodically lyrically or a combination of all three to every other song in some way like some are more obvious sometimes that little string melody you hear in the background is the vocal melody of another song uh, our guitar player is super talented and he when he's writing guitar solos um, he actually likes to reference, he plays very lyrically, which I appreciate. And he, uh, he references themes that I, especially the last big guitar solo, he references several melodic themes, uh, that I've sung kind of obliquely. They're not exactly the same. You know, when you reference theme, you don't have to be a hundred percent, uh, you know, 
transparent with it. But he, if you listen for it to his guitar solos, a lot of times you can hear um, references to melodies that I've sang. And his playing is just so lyrical in itself. Like it sounds like he's singing through his instrument and that's something that he takes really seriously. Um, so yeah, I, I'm glad you appreciate that aspect of it. It's really important to me. And I definitely, when was writing the music, was was thinking about it as an album. And we, you know, you have to step back eventually and zoom in and think about the specific songs. But the songs ultimately all serve the purpose together, which I guess is why I had so much trouble picking them, <laughs> picking one specific right, right, one. Right, because they all allied with each other, yeah. yeah. One of our favorite albums is The Incident by Porcupine Tree, and I'll use this as an example. It was one of the first times I've ever heard an album that was a concept album like this, where the very first thing you hear are those heavy, distorted guitars, and it's sort of like just open, right? Like you don't re There's no real sense of like I'm grounded in this time, or it's just very open and then you just listen to like i don't know 40 minutes of music and then you hear that again that ex and that Absolutely. same format and mm -hmm. i remember hearing that and feeling like i'm dealing with something totally different here <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know it's not like an album where each song is its own individual thing it's like it really was like wow you feel like they're trying to craft an experience versus trying to craft like I just wrote this three minute song and then I wrote another about a completely different topic or usually the lyrics are what differentiate things mm -hmm. a lot of times. But to have this idea that I have this melody over here and we're going to have fragments of it, I'm even going to have some sort of an overture. I, I appreciate and I wonder how much of it is that you just see this in the different uh, bands that you listen to, or if your classical education has sort of seeped in there without you knowing it? Uh, I would say both. And I, 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 I don't think that I, I don't think it seeped in without me knowing. I think it seeped in very intentionally. Like that was something that I felt passionate about that I wanted to like pursue further um, in, in a certain degree, if that makes sense. And I would say that even the first half of that, things that I see in other bands, like I listen to tons of bands that do concept records or concept, you know, EPs or whatever. Um, I listen to this one band, every album they've ever done is a concept. Like it's it's all one big concept. They're pulling back, you know, they've done 11 albums and you'll listen to it and you'll be like, oh, that's a theme from the second album. So like, you've got to like really, really be up with the repertoire to fully experience, you know, that band. Um, but uh, even that, like, that level of appreciation probably wouldn't have come as quickly or as deeply if I hadn't studied music like symphonic music or classical music uh, from a relatively early age. You know, I didn't start listening to Beethoven super young, but, uh, you know, I just think that they kind of intertwine. It's hard to separate the two, but I definitely do seek out bands like I can think of tons on the top, off the top of my head that are so great about capturing a full experience. Um, e either that's directly with like a, several different themes or several different motifs or whatever, or that's indirectly with like a certain atmosphere or a mood um, or a lyrical idea. Like some, and you know, it's kind of cheesy, but one of my favorite records is about death and it's uh, by a band called the contortionist and the album is called clairvoyant. And it is, it's thematic in that the first and the last song are essentially different arrangements of each other. And then the whole album, I, could be wrong, but I don't think there's references in each song. There's not like specific callbacks to melodies. It's not thematic or conceptual in that way. But the whole record is centered around this idea of death and it's like coping with grief and the loss of life. And it's all a reflection of that. And so even though there's not specific melodies that you can latch onto, 
the the atmosphere, the the dark aura that the record has is really powerful, and I think that makes it all conceptual for me. Coupled with the fact that the first and last song are so similar, they do deviate in certain places, but it is the same song arranged differently. If that makes sense, you'd have to listen to it to understand. Yeah, uh, exactly. Well, and so one thing I kind of want to point out that I think is worth considering is oftentimes we as people have to uh, figure out what justifies the work that we do, right? So when you're getting a music degree, the justification is going to be, well, I'll get some sort of career out of this, right? Like, yeah. And so if we then don't get that or if we have to, you know, if we graduate and then we work at a coffee shop, it's as if it's some sort of failure that we didn't get to this thing that everybody else gets to. But what's interesting to me is your music degree is serving a very specific and useful purpose in your life right now. It's just not like the traditional view of what that should look like. And yeah. so it's justified because it's useful and it's serving you and it's helpful and it has given you a background with which you can continue to grow from. But again, it's not like you know, the way you speak about it is like, yeah, it's just one aspect of the whole picture, like this holistic look. And you've just found a way to apply it in a way that makes what you're offering is that much more unique because it's got a level of complexity that maybe other people don't who hadn't studied it. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's kind of a testament to just that market in general, that market being like rock and metal music. And it's, I think uh, orchestral music and like metal music specifically um, kind of share in that they're like it's not the popular thing right now. It's not the mainstream source of media. And uh, you know, I did. I worked in a coffee shop for like four or five years after graduating, and now have circled back and I'm working in music again. Um, but it's during that time I did. I, I kind of struggled with with that a little bit. Cause I was like, you know, I got this degree in music and I'm actively only using it, uh, I guess selfishly, like I'm not using it. I mean, I don't know. Selfishly might not be the right word. I'm using it for something that is not benefiting my life in a practical way. It's all just because I like doing it because I enjoy doing it because I think I'm good at it and I like getting better at it. Like that's, it was a very personal pursuit for so long. And I'm at a point now where I teach where my music degree definitely helps with that. But I think the biggest application of it is still the band, even though the band doesn't really generate any income uh, and it doesn't really support me really in any way other than emotionally. Like it's definitely a cathartic process. Like if I go a month without writing a song, I get like, I can tell like I need some sort of creative outlet for a little while, even if it's just, you know, a two minute thing that I'm never going to release, like writing something, giving myself that creative thing, something that I'm proud of, something that I think has value for me personally is super important. And uh, flipping back to the first half of what I said, the market situation, uh, you know, you see that a lot lately and they might not have music degrees. They might not have invested quite as much in that regard. But like, I think about several bands that I'm friends with, uh, they are like on paper, the epitome of success, right? They've got Hundreds of th hundreds of thousands of followers on social media. Every song has millions of streams on Spotify. They get to tour internationally. They get to headline all over the place. They're playing these huge shows, sold out in all these different cities, all these different countries. And, you know, but it's metal music. It's not going to be on the radio. It's not going to be in commercials. It's not going to be in movies. Uh, so it's a very uncommercialized part of the commercial popular music, I guess you could say. And so they all have day jobs. Like when they're not, 
physically on the other side to a great record label, but when they're not on the road physically touring with the band, they're like a bartender or, you know, a barista at a coffee shop. And it's like several of them, like, you know, live in Birmingham and I talk to them and it's like, that's just the trade-off if you don't want to do something that is highly profitable, like, you know, popular music, the popular music examples would be like pop music, uh, singer-songwriter can be really profitable in certain ways. So it's just, there's an element of acceptance that you have to have going into it. And I think I worked through that for the first time right after I graduated. And it was kind of like the double, double-edged sword hit where I was like, this isn't really furthering me as a person at all. And it's also not making money, um, you know, but I worked through it and I'm, I came to a place where I'm comfortable and I'm, I'm proud and I'm, I'm proud of the stuff that I'm working on and the stuff that we're, we're doing as a band. And I think the personal satisfaction is enough for me right now. I'd love for it to become self-sustainable, get signed, do all these things that my friends' bands are doing. And I get to see that great success for them. Uh, but I've kind of resigned to the fact that I'll probably always have some sort of day job unless I really switch it up and start doing things that are a lot more commercially acceptable, which would probably mean abandoning a lot of symphonic elements of music. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I'm, I'm comfortable with that personally. And, you know, I get to work in music, so I'm not sure to it, to a degree, you know, teaching eight year olds and teaching 15 year olds <laughs> can feel different, but, uh, yeah, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm in a place where I'm comfortable with it and, you know, music's important and I'm pursuing it actively in my personal life outside the band, like trying to study and practice more and become better and all that stuff. Um, but I don't know if that answers your question. Totally. I mean, it's a good perspective, I think, because that will be people. Like There will be people who are trying to pursue one particular thing. And for whatever reason, that one particular thing doesn't work out. And it can be easy to be like, well, I staked everything on achieving this goal that I had for myself that everybody around me was like, you can do it. Like you got this. So not only do you feel like you let yourself down, but you let around, you know, let down everybody else around you. When in reality, it's just like, that's where you're at at that particular point. You know, like it doesn't necessarily define the, where the rest of your life could possibly go. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, life isn't linear anyways, yeah. you know, like no, we've talked about how progress and practice isn't linear either. Like life is kind of one big long practice session. Like the first songs I wrote were terrible. Like I knew that I liked this music um, and I wanted to incorporate these elements, but figuring out how to do it in a way that doesn't suck was like really hard, you know, like I just to be blunt, like, you know, and so it's something like life as a whole and music as a whole, like there are things you have to work at. And, you know, like you said, just because that's where you are in life right now, doesn't mean that it's going to be forever. Like, you keep working at anything, you can eventually find success. And it might not look like success that you've seen in other people. And it might not look like the success that you originally had envisioned, but you will eventually find success in some way. And that enough for me was the drive to keep going. You know, no one gets into music because they want to be rich, you know, famous maybe, but like nobody, nobody starts playing symphonic music or rock music or metal music because they want to be like rich. You do it because, or I guess people do maybe, but you shouldn't, you should do it because you have to, because you feel like it's, such an important part of your life that it would be dishonest or unjust to yourself to not do it. Um, yeah. Well, and like your example here, and it's a very important example is it also doesn't have to be your job. It's not like what I think sometimes the narrative can be, or at least this is my perception. I could be wrong. 
But the narrative would be like, if you're not going to make money doing it or you can't support yourself from a music school perspective, you might as well quit and do something else. Yeah. But for you, you're you're investing a significant portion of your life because you're passionate about it. And that's like enough. Like it doesn't have to be, well, if I'm not making money, I need to go do something else or figure this other thing out that's going to make me money. Or I can then, because the problems that seep in are then either it's like, well, I mean, maybe need to change what I'm doing to make it more marketable, right? Which maybe isn't what the thing is. Or maybe I'm just mad at like all these people who don't appreciate what I do. Or maybe the various communities, you're jealous of these other bands who have this success that you, you know, it, it just leads you down to all these other things, but it's got to be that you decide that the only thing that's going to make it worth it is if you make can make a career. And I love your example that it's just, I feel that a drive to do this, but it's, but it's like, that's how I want to spend my time, not necessarily from a career perspective that it has to be something specific. Yeah. And I mean, I would accredit that to my parents kind of instilling that in me. Like they were, they were very, very supportive. Like from the second I was interested in music, you know, like they were always like, you know, you can do music. Like, you, you know, you do have to figure out how to make a living, but like you, we want you to pursue music as far as you can. And so, um, there's different ways of doing that and there's different, you know, it looks different for everybody, but they were always very, very supportive of that. And I was, you know, I feel like I'll be paying that back to them, like paying it back, I guess, figuratively uh, the rest of my life. Like, uh, cause not everyone gets parents who are super down for them to like go to music school and, you know, and now that I'm teaching music and they can see it's making some money, they're like, I guess it feels a little more validated to them. But uh, there for a while, I was like, man, I'm letting my parents down hard, <laughs> you know, serving coffee five days a week and writing prog rock operas in my <laughs> in my bedroom, you know. Uh, but they, you know, even even in the, that time, they were like, you know, this is something you're passionate about and something you're good at. Just keep going. Keep, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was going to talk to you about some of the recording specific stuff. I think we save that for a different a different time. I'd love to have you back on and and kind of detail the process of recording and things you've learned from it and things that we might be able to learn from what you've learned from it, but I think we should save that for a different conversation. I think to end, I want I want you to I want you to tell us what's going on in the breakdown of this place <laughs> All right, so yeah. that we can listen to it. So um, the breakdown of this place comes right after the second chorus, and the song is in C-sharp minor. So uh, we start off, the song's been mostly in 4-4 up until then. We've had a few breaks into 7, but the breakdown section of the bridge, whatever you want to call it, is exclusively in 7-4. So there's like a bass melody that comes in, and the drums are kind of, the, the, the drums are kind of accompanying the groove pretty on the nose, like we're hitting all the major accents together and the guitar is just doing big washy chords. The synth is just holding out chords. So the bass and the drums are like definitely the focus. And then uh, the drums kind of start to deviate a little bit. Ethan's really good at playing. This is a silly word to say, but he plays like melodic drumming, if that makes sense. Like he definitely like it's, that's the only word for it. It's melodic sounding. Yeah, yeah. And so he does this like kind of very off of the grid groove. I mean, it's on the grid, but it's it's not following the accents of me anymore. And then he does a fill in that like that. We go back into the groove and then we start adding in layers. So we, we start off by adding the sort of guitar, doubling the bass and the drums go into a halftime feel. Uh, and this was actually a trick I learned from uh, Steven Wilson, who mm -hmm. we talk about extensively. He's the leader of the band Porcupine Tree. 
And frequently, and this happens all over the place, but he was the first person I heard it. So I credited it to him, uh, even though so many people, other, so many other people do this. Um, he'll take like a seven, an asymmetrical part, a seven part or a five part, and he'll put a, uh, like a quarter note in the symbols. Yeah. And if you've got something in five, eight or seven, eight, and you're putting quarter notes over it, um, that'll displace the accent of the, uh, of the coordinate, right? It'll go from being one, three, five, seven, two, four, six, and then it'll land back on one. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that gives the whole every two bar phrase like a weird push and pull because you're feeling it as a downbeat and then you're feeling it as an upbeat feel the second time. I love doing that. So we do that a little bit. Um, and then, you know, the harmony just moves from C sharp minor chords to C major chords. So you're moving down that kind of chromatic movement, which is cool. The third stays the same in both those chords, which I think is also fun. Um, and then uh, we do that a couple of times and then we drop it on. We do triplets and we drop them. Um, this is getting very in-depth. Sorry. I know, we, but because <laughs> I want you to explain it because when we listen to it, it's going to be, it's just because like when you listen to it, you're just like, what is happening? You know, but <laughs> yeah. like to understand that, that feeling is not an accident. Yeah, it, yeah, it was very intentional. And we do like a, uh, so we've played the riff, I think three three times now with the distorted guitars. And let me do a triplet hit. We're in a triplet, da, 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 da. Bring us back into the final downbeat. Um, and we drop the octave on the instrument. So I play a five string bass. Our guitar player plays a seven string guitar and we tune down to a drop A. So it's super, super low tunings for, for instruments. So we're in very, very low octaves and that's, it can be very muddy. So we had to like play like hyper clean and you know, all the fun stuff when it comes to recording, which you said we'll talk about eventually, but playing very, playing the same riff in a lower octave. And this is where Ethan's melodic drumming comes back into play. He stops playing a groove and he's treating it more like big open hits, you know, he's not like playing the groove in between those hits anymore. He's just accenting with the cymbals and Throughout all of that, the pads are constantly getting bigger, constantly adding more layers, constantly adding a little more dissonance here and there. The synth pads, yeah. Yeah, synth pads, sorry. Uh, and it's like that that harmony is so weird going from like the minor one to like the major seven, but not the flat major seven, just the major raised seven. I don't know. Very odd harmony. Like it's as, that's as, well, it's not as far away as you can get because it's minor. Yeah. But that's, those are pretty far away from each yeah, other. Ab- yeah. And it's just like, very chromatic, goofy harmony, and it's only two chords, so you, it, it's it's accessible in the sense that like you listen to it once, you feel like you understand it, but the first time you hear it, you're like, whoa, yeah, weird weird harmony choice. Um, it's actually the same. We use that same progression, a much less amount in the choruses of that song, and singing over that was weird. Um, but that's a whole different thing. And then so we move into. Uh, do you want me to go post breakdown? No, nah, just okay. a breakdown. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, the song should be playing right now, and the thing, um, if you need to get, like, if people need to get in touch with you, what should they do? Yeah, um, you can either reach out to us on, you know, we have an email, I have an email, uh, we have social media, so like Empire Springs, on pretty much any social media, uh, you can find us. If you want to reach out to me personally and talk about anything, I love talking to people. So my email is brettbellamymusic at gmail.com. Uh, spelled like it is in the title of the podcast and then uh yeah i'll talk cool. about anything all right if you need to get in touch with me you can do that at that's not spit.com uh, or facebook and instagram at that's not spit uh, if you enjoyed 
this episode. Consider giving it a rating and review on iTunes. And don't forget to share this on social media. Uh, Brett, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you to Brandon Yoakum for mastering. That's what I was just about to say. Thank you, Brandon Yoakum, for your work on Mastering the Steps of the Podcast. And most of all, I'd like to thank you for listening. Stay strong. Be kind to yourself. Never stop growing. And we'll see you next time. In the dark.